Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to another, this is a live, right now it's live, a podcast from Batavia, a Fight the Good Fight Bible podcast, where we uh, just attempt to look deep into the scriptures, and we don't meaningfully, uh, we're not meaningfully trying to offend people or challenge churches and what they're teaching. Um, Heavens knows there's plenty to challenge out there and plenty of confusion, so we hope uh, what we do here clears some of that up. We strongly encourage people to share their comments and and criticisms, whatever it is, questions. Uh, we have our email address is fight the good fight 10, the number 10, fight the good fight, the number 10 at yahoo.com. Feel free to uh, communicate with us there. And we also have a Facebook page as of now, which you can go to fight the good fight Bible podcast and find us on there. Not a whole lot of, uh, not a whole lot on there right now, depending at the time of this uh, broadcast and as we're taping this uh, most recent episode, we've yet to publish one, so we're not sure which order it'll go in. Um, this one is called The Devil Made Me Do It. I'm here with uh, Rebecca Burt from our ministry here, Jay Sims, Dylan, and um, we're just going to talk about truth from the Bible and the devil. You could walk into oh boy, any different kind of church and you'd find a lot of different concepts of what the devil is doing. You walk into some church, you think he was right next to the preacher pounding him on the head with a brick and, and somebody's got to stave him off and other people will preach for 20 years and act like he's not even around. Uh, so there's a real devil. We do know that, right? Yeah. I'll agree with that. There's a real devil. Yeah. He's a real being. Um, pretty Some of the common knowledge is that uh, he's a fallen angel. He's an ex-angel. He's actually maybe a present angel, but he's just a wicked, evil angel now. As you go through the scripture, and we'll dig into some of this, you'll find these unclean spirits and wicked spirits and evil spirits, and these different words that are used to describe apparently different levels of um, angels. you agree with that, Jace? Mm-hmm. seems like it's kind of diverse in what these demons do, and... Uh, Jesus said things like, "Hey, when you when you drive one demon out, he'll go. If if you if you don't clean yourself up, apparently, and and he goes out and tries to find a place of rest, he'll go find seven more more wicked than himself. You got these wicked spirits that seem to be really nasty, wicked spirits. Mm-hmm. Back in the Old Testament, you'll find the term familiar spirit, uh, which the familiar spirits seem to be pretty pretty evident that a familiar spirit was something that we really struggle with." So if you were if you struggle with just a simple thing, alcohol, and you're around somebody else who's drinking alcohol or has that same struggle, that familiar spirit will take advantage of that and they'll try to manipulate that. Manipulate that. Uh, probably pretty important to realize that from the beginning of the Holy Scripture in Genesis, when we meet uh, first or encountered with Satan, Lucifer, the devil, the adversary, whatever that might be, whatever we might call him, he's identified a few different ways. Um, he's identified there as the subtle serpent, that he's very subtle. Uh, there's a reference in Ezekiel, I believe it is, where uh, the prophet looks and says, is this the being that made the nations tremble? Satan's very unassuming. The devil's very unassuming. We get this idea that he's flamboyant and out in the middle of everything and pitchforks, and, and all. but he's really not. He's very subtle. He's very tricky. He's very deceptive. Deceptive. Deception is the ability to... Uh, make someone believe something that's not believable. But they, but somehow, uh, spiritually, these demons and the devil and the influence of the devil can take two completely contrasting ideals 
and kind of blend them in your mind and confuse you and make you accept some of one and some of the other. So I think we'll see some interesting things on here, and we hope to stir some people up um, as we do. Um, we go through this little exercise just in a true or false format, and they're purposely designed to be really tricky, uh, just like the devil's tricky. So we're going to get started, and we have some scripture references to back some of this up. Uh, only three of us tonight here to add input. As we grow, we'll get some more people involved. But um, we talked about already that we would agree that it's some at, at one point it still is. Satan, I guess, still is an angel. He's still a messenger created as a as a as a messenger being, an angel. Um, but when he rebelled and took a third of the others with him, he's now quote unquote a fallen angel, which means he's out of his present. Well, he's out of his permanent abode. He was supposed to be abode, to abide one place, and now he's on the earth. And in Job, we see him running to and fro and uh, seemingly having free reign. Would you say that, Dylan? Does it seem like in Job, it sure does seem like Job has free reign to do whatever he wants to and fro about the earth, doesn't it? Yeah. He doesn't have free reign to do whatever he wants, but he travels wherever he wants. Um, so we're going to see where that's important down the road. So the first true or false question is, True or false, Satan was originally an archangel. Satan was originally an archangel. Somebody in our group here talk about that. Do you think believe that's true or false? I, I want to see uh, what translation says that um, because I'm pretty sure it describes more of, and maybe, maybe it means by archangel they could be, they would consider the cherubim or the seraphim um, archangel. Um, because I'm pretty sure Ezekiel, it's, it calls, it says you were the anointed cherubim. Well, let's look at that because it's a true or false question. Um, <clears throat> it would be pretty common for people. I think generally people in the church would think of Satan as a really strong, powerful, high-ranking angel. Would you think that, Rebecca? If you would, you think that we talk about Michael and Gabriel and these archangels, these high, authoritative beings? Wouldn't you tend to put Satan in that category? Yes. Most people would. I think, think. Yeah. I think if you line people up in a church and said, hey, uh, would you consider that Satan, Michael, and Gabriel are probably cut from the same mold? They're probably the same archangels. Uh, we'll challenge on that a little bit because as uh, uh, Jace alluded to here in uh, Ezekiel 28, 14, and, and some of you aren't going to like this at all. Because we could do a whole podcast on this one word here. You know, you see it coming. We could do a mm-hmm. whole 10-year podcast on this one word that's probably, it, it, I'll say it, it's, it's the most misused blasphemous term in the church by far. People use this in a blasphemous sense all the time. Um, verse 14 mm-hmm. says, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God, thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. We won't get into that right now because it still calls for some speculation on that point. But we see there that that right there, and if you go through the context and just time doesn't allow, but it's clear that it's talking about Satan, the individual personal satanic person, Lucifer, um, and he's called the anointed cherub. Um, Michael's never called a cherub or a seraphim as far as that goes. Gabriel's never referred to as a cherub or a seraphim, right? You might know what the cherubs did. Now you'll see in the Home Depot or whatever, the little chubby cherubs that run around and do and 
we, we consider cherubs what? They they basically are supposed to be around their god. There's even I think there's Egyptian like hieroglyphs where it'll depict these flaming snake creatures around like Horus and things like that. Okay. Um, they are supposed to worship. There are there are cherubim that are around the throne unquestionably. But what was their job? What was the cherubim's job? If you read the verse in the Gospels, it's recorded a couple of times, about how Jesus says the angels in heaven are always beholding the face of these little ones. We talk about guardian angels and about everybody. Interceding? Yeah, cherub. The cherubim are primarily the overseeing. The cherubim were evidently designed to look after God's creation, us. Uh, We kind of know that because... When Paul makes that reference in Hebrews of the two cherubim, and I'll spare you the history lesson, but when Solomon was building the temple, apparently he built these two incredibly huge gold cherubim and their wings touched, and that's where the Ark of the Covenant was slid under. And when Paul talks in Hebrews 12 about, and then you have the two great wings of the cherubim that overlook the, the mercy seat, that he said, I can't speak to you on that now. So either at that point... He didn't know what that was all about, or it was just too much spiritually, but it's recorded over in, I think, 11 or 12 of Hebrews. Forgive me. Those of you who aren't here right now, it's where we'd love you to look that stuff up and test us. We're, we kind of go the Brian model. The, the noble people search the Scripture, see if we're telling you the truth. We don't claim to be any final authority, but um, yeah, we're going to be pretty steadfast on the things we know to be true. So very good possibility that the, the true or false, if Satan was an archangel, would be false. Mm-hmm. The only two angel identified as archangels or michael who seems to be what michael seems to be in charge of what the army yeah the heavenly host he's the head of the host he he's the commander of god's heavenly army we probably see we probably see the reference to the angel with the flaming sword in the garden of eden that that military type uh individual angel as michael when we see these uh, the angel with the big sword in David's day, standing at the walls of Jericho, I believe it was, probably Michael. Um, <clears throat> and what do we know about Gabriel, the archangel? What, where's he always found? What's he always doing? He was the one that um, that uh, went to Mary, right? To mm-hmm. He's the messenger. He's yeah. also he's the always who, announcing. He went to. What's interesting? Dylan just brought up how he went to Mary. Guess who else he goes to? Daniel. Daniel. Who does he tell Daniel about? The son of man. Son of man. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Yeah, you've got, you've got Gabriel apparently, and again, we say apparently, and when I say apparently, this is what it is. I say apparently, yeah. this is what it is. But I, I said it for the, the podcast, uh, so for your benefit. But apparently, Michael is the head of the heavenly host. He's doing the wars and the battles, and Gabriel seems to be this announcing angel that comes to Elizabeth and comes to Mary and comes to Daniel and does a lot of communicating. Uh, we have we'd have a pretty good time when, when when people like to talk about God talked to me, God told me this, and God told me that. We could have a whole podcast about God told me this and God told me that. You should be walking close with the Lord and know the Word well enough. We're going to tell you a whole lot of stuff. Nothing. We already know it. Um, but if there is some communication going on, it's very likely Gabriel or some of his angelic host than God Himself personally speaking, because if God can send, if God decided to send the angel Gabriel to Mary to talk to her, I'm not too good for that, am I, Dylan? No. I'd be pretty honored for Gabriel to speak to me. So, but we're going to see some of this and the power and this authority. And if you're with us tonight, and you're in, you know, you're in one of these 
more charismatic, kind of out there, power and authority, word of faith. I think you can learn something here. We're not we're not here to tell you you're wrong or, or anything. You can figure that out for yourself. But for now, we want to point out a couple things about Satan and being a cherub is that a cherub would have been in charge of looking after and protecting God's prized possessions, which would be us. So imagine what happened. Likely, God put Satan in charge of looking after the people at this table and the people in this world. Satan becomes jealous, we know that, and envious. In Isaiah, we know that he becomes envious and doesn't like the fact that God prefers us humans over him, and he decides he wants a better position in heaven. And again, apparently he goes after Jesus' position. He wants that sort of worship, which we see in the Gospels, of the temptations, which we'll look at that very closely. So let's take a break. And with Rebecca here and Jace, what kind of things, just just that first question, what kind of things have kind of been illuminated for us already that might be helpful to us uh, learning about the adversary? Well, that he's a cherubim to begin with. A cherubim. Yeah. A a covering spirit. So a cherubim would have been over the Ark of the Covenant, protecting what was in the Ark of the Covenant. Quick sidelight. Does anybody know what was in the Ark of the Covenant? The tablets and Aaron's budded staff. One more thing, originally. The uh, rod. manna, right? Yeah. Mm. So originally, when, when, when the Ark of the Covenant, again, if you can get a picture in your head, went in under those two big wings, and the way I... The way my mind, the picture my mind sees it is, you know, Solomon built that incredible temple and he built these two huge wings of gold and then they inserted this Ark of the Covenant underneath those wings to protect it, to cover it. Inside that Ark at the time, well, allegedly when it went in there, there was Aaron's rod that budded, there was a pot of manna and what we call the Decalogue, the second copy of the Ten Commandments. Amazingly enough, when that temple's destroyed, and the ark comes out, there's only one thing left in it. Just the Decalogue. There's no man, there's no Aaron's rod that budded. It's gone. So something happened and something was taken from that ark. And I'm sure that's a spiritual picture of what's left to be destroyed. Judgment. So back to Satan being a, an anointed, a chosen, an elite, set up for a special purpose, cherub. And it doesn't say he was an anointed. It says he was the anointed. He must have been the man in charge of looking after God's creation of humans. I don't think that's too. Do you think that's too far of a stretch, Jace? No, not at all. Cause what the heck's he doing in in Eden? Exactly. What is he doing so close to the? He was in that garden before he was subtle and became a serpent, started deceiving people. And you look at that; it's a very good point. They were familiar. He was familiar with him. Was familiar with him. You could, and again, you could make an argument that the subtle serpent, when he was doing his job, was subtle and a serpent and just turned on him. He used what they trusted against him. Sound familiar? He used what they already trusted against Eve. We always think that, well, how could Eve believe that? Well, it's very likely he built a lot of trust with her. Mm-hmm. He was used to communicating with her. I would really doubt that's the first time that he even ever had an altercation with the serpent. Yeah, There was something going on. But suffice it to say, and this is where we like the controversy of these podcasts, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to get tougher for some of you. You guys got tough for me when I was learning walking through this. That 
Satan was the anointed cherub that God chose to put over protecting his prized possession creation, us man. And that's why it's been so devastating that Satan now is the enemy or what we call the adversary of man. There's an enemy, but it's not Satan. We're going to see that. Satan's not the enemy. He's the adversary, but he's not the enemy. He's the adversary. He's against everything. If you remember, Jace, when Peter, right, get mm-hmm. thee behind me, you, you yeah. enemy of all, he used the word, it's actually adversary of all righteousness. You're against righteousness. You're against believing. Mm-hmm. You're against faith. You're for knowing more than believing. And I'll redeem my people that way. And we'll, we'll take a good look at that because that could probably use some translation work uh, in all the, uh, all the Bibles. So we learn about Satan being an anointed, the, I'm sorry, the anointed chair being in charge of the creation. And we all kind of know what happened. He's no, he's no longer that. He doesn't have that position any longer, does he? No. He's, he was supposed to spend all eternity looking after God's people in a perfect garden. And now he'll spend all eternity in a lake of fire. Right? Mm -hmm. And those who are deceived by him will be there with him. So, all right, second question. Satan is the supreme ruler of this present world, true or false? Now, I know my good friend who likes to sing the song about this is my father's world when I like this. I mean, I think think Scripture makes it very clear that um, he is the the god of this world. Can you prove that <coughs> in the scripture? I think it's proved in the it's in, Second Corinthians. Yeah, in the New it is. Yeah. Well, I gave you a cheat sheet there. It's on your list oh, there. Nice. Yeah, set you up for that one, didn't I? So, if we look at Second Corinthians chapter four, and we'll pause for a minute there. If we had more people, and maybe when we do this again, we will have more people. I would think this is kind of shocking. If you walked into a church full of people at the First United Methodist Church and said, before we start today, let's remind everybody, Rebecca, Jace, Dylan, Joe, Satan's the God of this world we're living in. When you came from the hardware store this morning, Satan's the God of that world. When you got a milkshake at UDF, Satan's the God of those milkshakes down there. When you picked up that newspaper this morning, Satan's the God of that newspaper. It makes us a lot less comfortable uh, being a part of the things of the world. Hmm. I wish somebody had told us that. Oh, I think God did tell us that. Well, I think on one hand it would shock them, but it, for me, it's after doing a word study on the word Elo, Elohim, at least in the Old Testament, it the biblical authors for the most part would, especially, well, in the Old Testament, would think of the word God is used um, when Samuel comes up, the, mm-hmm. the ghost of Samuel. It just means a disembodied spiritual being but now when you say the god the most high god you're talking about the the most high yeah. disembodied you know being so it's not as scary as people say but it's still it's still serious it's still a big deal but i think some people they ascribe when you hear god i think especially in america we think of you probably mean allah or the mm-hmm. christian god or the jewish god that's a that's a good place to go because if you notice it, and and again we can we might just go through the whole thing I mean in detail but you'll you'll see the majority of the time in the New Testament Gospels when any of the evil wicked spirits or whatever kind of spirits they are encounter Jesus they refer to him in a certain way and you mm-hmm. just said it the Most High God mm-hmm. what have that to do with thee the the Son of the Most High God usually it's the Son of the Most High God. So they recognize there are levels of gods, 
Mm-hmm. That's a good book about that, by the way. I have some issues, but it's 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 a tricky read. Mm-hmm. But and we can we can. What's that book called, by the way? Uh, that, uh, it's a good plug for us. The Unseen Realm. The Unseen Dr. Realm. Michael Heiser. Yeah, Michael Heiser. The Unseen Realm talks about this idea of how the word little God is used and about mm-hmm. how that was pretty common back in the day. Yeah. So we differentiate between the Most High God, the Almighty God. I like to refer to God is the most holy, the, the almighty, mm. the separated God, the the God of the Spirit. I mean, I have ways I approach my God. I always try to say that whenever I make a post, I make sure I try to say the most high God, mm-hmm. just so if anyone's confused as to who I'm talking about. Because yeah. God is such a, nowadays it's just such a... It's an innocuous, generic yeah. term almost yeah. of things. And in the church, we just think of God. And we've talked about this before that, honestly, and if you're on here and you're serving serving the Lord and you're a Christian, something you really ought to know is that, and just to this point, when we address, when we go when we go to our God in prayer, we, we don't address him as God. How do we address him, Rebecca? How are you supposed to address him? Our, our Almighty Lord. Father. 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 Father, there's a huge difference in just saying, God, here I come in prayer. You you can tell an awful lot by a person and where their relationship is with God, especially a person who has been a pauper for 25 years who's not. Rebecca's pretty new to the faith, so it would be like she's got to learn how to address the Father because mm-hmm. that's what he says, doesn't he, Jace? Yeah. I'm your father. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to tell the story about when I was growing up, my, my, my you know physical father was the mayor of our town, the police chief, all that, and most people had to call my dad Sheriff Otto or Mayor Otto. Well, I called my dad dad. Mm-hmm. I called him father because I was his son. So when we come to come to God, when we're redeemed by Jesus, we refer to him as our father versus just God. Because again, if I'm just saying God, it's out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll tell you one thing. There's billions of more prayers that are uttered to Satan, the God of this world, then to my father, Elohim El Shaddai, Elohim, mm-hmm. the Most High. Mm-hmm. Billion to one probably, isn't there? And Satan's happy to answer most of them. And maybe we don't know who we're praying to. For the sake of this little study in our true and false quiz, keep me on track, when I say true or false, Satan's the supreme ruler of this present world, we, can make a, we will make a strong argument that he is. Mm-hmm. That when Eve was deceived, she surrendered her authority for her life from the Creator God, which I like to refer to my God as the Creator God, too. Satan's never created anything. My God's a Creator. So when we talk about our Father or the Creator God, we're qualifying that. That's not just God. That's the God who creates the world. That's the, How many times does God say, you know, he'll use El, El Shaddai or one of those references, El, El, El Yuyan, but it'll say, I'm the God that separated the mountains from the seas. I'm the God yeah. that separates them from I'm the God that creates things. I'm the God that makes things. The one who rides the clouds. The one who clouds. rides the clouds and, and glory and honor and majesty and thunder. And that's exciting. And just a quick lesson on worshiping God. That's how we should be worshiping God. We should be worshiping God mainly in how we address our God. Not in singing and dancing and running around on pews. That's no. We should we should address him as the most holy, righteous God, and you alone 
are the most high God. Sorry if that offends anybody. You can have that out later if you want, but I'll stand by it. No, I, I, it was, it's good. I what? just imagine someone doing that. Yeah, and there's not. I mean, there's not inherently wrong with that, but don't confuse it with worship. Don't confuse going to a concert and singing songs and enjoying yourself and getting some emotional thrill with worshiping God. It can lead you into that, mm-hmm. but it's not the same thing. It's simply not. I mean, you've, you've put it best even just on that 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 note there, and it's just a quick snippet, but uh, we worship him for who he is. And if you don't know who he is, it's impossible to worship him. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, you, you can, and if Mike Jarvis were here, he'd like this because we've worked on this for a lot of years. It doesn't take much work. It just takes a lot of discipline to understand there's a different in, difference in praising God and worshiping God. A lost person can praise God, but a mm-hmm. lost person cannot worship God. Mm-hmm. You worship God for who he is. And as Dylan said, you must have knowledge of who God is to worship him. You can't be ignorant of who God is. You have to have the equal. It's almost like you've got faith in God, knowledge of God, and worship of God, three amigos running together. If one's weak, one's weak in the same weakness. If, if, if one's strong, they'll usually be strong that way too. But we must worship God for who he is in all circumstances. We praise God for what he does for us. Amen. And before I was saved, God did a lot for me. I could praise God. And I fear there's a lot of people in the church that can praise God, but they've never known God, so they can't worship Him in spirit and in truth. Truth. Yeah. you got to worship God in the spirit of righteousness and the truth of righteousness. So we don't want to spend a whole lot of time on these because you might go back and pick some apart. We will look at Matthew 4. Hopefully my references are good. Matthew chapter 4, which a lot of people are familiar with. And if you're not, you're going to be. If you're enjoying this, if you're online right now for some reason and there's a certain spot you like or you have some criticism, something's too fast, too slow, quite slow down, please, please communicate with us. You're not, I, I, I think we're past being offended. As my buddy John used to say, it's hard to offend a dead man. If you're dead to yourself, hard to be offended. So Matthew 4, and this is the record of the temptation of Jesus before... He comes out into the to his realm of public ministry. And we have this. We have again the devil taking him up into an exceeding high mountain. Interesting, Jace, it would be in a high mountain, place of the most high. Here we go again, this high, high and lifted up. You talk about that all day. Huh? You talk about that all day, all the day. idea. Especially, it doesn't seem like a lot to us, but I'll add this in here, is that when we think of high, like really high up in the sky, we think of maybe outer space. Well, back then... The, the reason why the author of Ezekiel in the passage we read, Ezekiel 28, mm-hmm. calls Eden, it's talking about Eden, and it says the mountain of God. Well, back then, with their uh, worldview about space and whatnot, they imagined the top of the mountain. That's where the heavens touch the earth, the earth. right there. And so th- right here, this is that this, you should be cluing in this We picture. call it a pinnacle. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. called here the pinnacle. It's a great translation here because, like Jay said, if you would have mentioned Eden— to a Jewish person, two thousand—that's maybe what they have thought of. They'd have thought yeah. of this high place. Mm-hmm. We, we, you know, the 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 dude over there at the boat wants to talk about Eden being a mess. And it, no, it's this idea of this being this high pinnacle place, and mm-hmm. God is high above with creation. So when Adam and Eve are banished from the garden, they're down the hill, baby. Yeah, heaven, There's, heaven and earth. That's that's that whole concept of heaven and earth. Yeah, right there. And and a lot of false religions, a lot of New Age religions, like this idea of trying to you know bring together heaven and earth. Of course, Jesus hovered between heaven and earth. The man and 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 God hovered between heaven and earth. Was suspended between there, to, you know, in a spiritual, 
in a spiritual sense and probably in a, in a, in a metaphysically real sense as well. And about nine times out of ten from what I've seen in the Old Testament and the New Testament, when they said heavens, they thought of just the sky. They weren't thinking the way we are of about the throne room. There's Now, there is that thing in, I think, Second Corinthians where Paul says third heaven, mm-hmm. and that was alluding to the Greco-Roman idea that there's the heaven, which is the sky, the second heaven, which is outside of the sky, and then the third heaven would yeah. be where God dwells. The unattainable. Um, be. Yeah, the, they call that the abode of God. Yeah. You know, where God lives in our hearts. but And God is everywhere. We're going to see about this idea of being omnipresent, that, that the Father, and I'm going to refer to God as the Father, if that's okay most of the time. The Father is yeah. omnipresent. And he can be everywhere all the time, but he does have a, an abode. He abides in heaven. That's yep. that's his seat. That's where it is. That's where he lives, um, theoretically. So good stuff so far. Learn a little something. Yeah. Think this is edifying for people. Yeah. yeah. From from all ways. Okay. Sorry, I kind of I kicked you out to the weeds with that. No, that's great. That's that's good stuff. You know, we're keeping on. on I think we're keeping a pretty good keeping the fairway here. So verse eight, the devil again takes him up into an exceeding high mountain. And he shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a glance, apparently, and all the glory of them. Look at all the world has to offer. It reminds me of the, the first John, all that's in the world, the pride of life and lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Here's Satan, the devil identified. Here's the devil, the adversary. The adversary shows Jesus all that's in the world. Look, look, look at all this stuff. There's probably one reason that Satan would be so anxious and proud and willing to do that, to show him that. Why? Knew was a threat, I would assume. He's probably taking credit for it. Mm. Look at all these glorious things that are going on down here. Look at the Tower of Babel. You're seeing all this stuff. Look at look at the Republicans and look at the Democrats and look at the Black Lives Matter and look at the Tower of Babel and look at all this great stuff that the world has done with their... That's what's going on. Look at the glory of them because you've got to think of Jesus' perspective of his lost creation. Listen, Jesus walked into this world, and his job was to redeem mankind. His job, Jace, was to create life for you because you were dead. And when he walked into this world, he had one single tool to work with to make life. What was it? There was only one tool that Jesus had to work with. Death. Death. Because all that was in the world was death. When Jesus gets up on that pinnacle and looks at what St. Julius is saying is, look at the death. It looks pretty darn good. That's a pretty picture. Michelangelo's done a good job of making this this old nasty grave of the world look alive, and we do it today, don't we? Mm-hmm. But that's important. We know from a salvation perspective, and just from a good doctrinal perspective, and we can beat each other over the head and talk about Arminianism and Calvinism and all this nonsense we 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 argue about. But here's the bottom line: Jesus Christ came into this world. And all he had to work with to create life was death. And he did just that because he brought life out of death. He can't mm-hmm. beat him, join him. He joined him in death, joined us in death, and he overcame it, right? We just celebrated yeah. Easter. That's the whole, that's the, that's the glory of that, that Jesus had one thing to work with to make, to create life, and that was death, and he used it to create life for you, Rebecca. Now, if you'll die to yourself, the death of repentance. You can live eternally with my God, with my Father in heaven, right? Mm-hmm. Join. So back to Satan again, little silent, not bad. Verse 9, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. The devil challenges Jesus that I'll give you your creation back. That's what he was saying. 
oh, it's a mess. It's all nasty. It's a mess. But they're mine. How could he offer? How could he offer Rebecca to give Jesus the creation back if he didn't own it? He's lying. Is he? I mean, we just established that he's uh, the ruler of the of the present world. So, like, if you're a ruler of something, like, nobody would tell Caesar that he wasn't the, you know, he couldn't give away his kingdom if he wanted to. If he wanted to. This is good learning stuff because you want to think that. You know, I said, oh, my gosh, God's never been out of control of this world. Uh, let me tell you, there's a vast chasm between being in charge and being in control. We like to think, Jason, God's in control. Mm-hmm. He's in charge. Maybe tell you he's not in control. We want to say that. Take your sovereignty of God and rethink it. Because mm-hmm. God is sovereign. He is. But what does that mean? That's the. That's it means that he's in charge of everything, yeah. but he's not in control of everything. I could walk out of here right now and grab that thing and beat some over the head with it, and there's not a darn thing that my God would do about it. He could, but he doesn't. Now, we're going to call that free will and all this. Other. No, it's called self-will. It's mm-hmm. called sin. And God's already determined this world's full of it. That's all that's in here. And if without me, Jim, you would do that. And he's right, I would do that. But back to Satan and this idea that he is, our question was, Satan is the supreme ruler of this present world. And is that true or false? We're going to see that it's true. Yeah. We're going to see that it's true, that Satan, the god of the flesh, is the supreme ruler of things of the flesh. And the only things that are of the flesh are things done by Jesus Christ completely outside of our control, our will, our desire that are done through you that he gets all the glory for. Because mm-hmm. the Bible's clear, nothing good dwells in the flesh. Jesus is not, listen, Jesus Christ is not the God of the flesh. He wants nothing to do with it. You guys, on you, I'm saying you guys on here, when you hear this, you can holler and scream and demand Jesus do all this stuff in the flesh. In the name of Jesus, I can you try to do it, you're wasting your breath. He wants nothing to do with that fleshly stuff. He's the God of our spirit, isn't he? Yeah. My spirit is redeemed. My spirit will go to heaven. I can't wait to get out of this fleshly body. I'm not rooting for cancer. I'm not rooting against it. I'm wanting to get out of this body. I feel the same way my Lord did. He couldn't wait to get out of this body. Oh, it's going to be a painful day to get out of it. He couldn't wait to get out of the body and be back with his Father, right? That's the true union we're talking about. We want to dumb things down by saying, let's get connected and let's get into his body. No, it's about being in union. We're in union with God in our spirit. I have nothing in common with Jesus Christ in my flesh. He crucified it. So get rid of it. With one day you will have an incorruptible flesh. Oh, one day. Oh, yeah, yeah baby. One day. You, you can bet on that, but this isn't that day. No, it's not. And I'm not deceived into thinking it is. And I'm not going to live like it is. And I'm not going to let people be tricked into thinking it is because it's a cheap, dumbed-down version. Mm-hmm. And I'll say it. It's offensive to my father mm-hmm. after what he did for us. So here we go. The devil... All these things I'll give thee if you'll fall down and worship me. Let's learn something very important here about worship. Worship means to fall down. Depress. To depress yourself. It means to become flat on your face and your heart in front of God. There's no alternative. Anywhere you see it in the Bible and truth, there's... The Old Testament, there's no exceptions in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. When somebody said they were going to worship, we get it from Abraham and the Isaac thing. He said, I'm going yonder to depress myself and fall on my face all the way there as long as I need to. As a matter of fact, on a really odd side note, that word, Shawshank, is what it is back in the Old Hebrew. That's If you've seen the Shawshank Redemption, that's the same word, this Shawshank idea. 
to be depressed. Well, when that when that term was translated into the Vulgate, into the Latin, they started training doctors for years. If you went to the doctor and you were depressed and they wrote a on Latin, they would write the prescriptions and, and things in Latin. They'd write they'd write that word on there, which was the old word for worship, and say you were depressed. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. How there's there's some subtlety, isn't it? So you're really depressed. And let me say, I'll go on record as saying this. If you're not truly worshiping my father, you should be depressed. You have nothing mm-hmm. else to look forward to. I, I can't help you. I can tell you to turn, repent, and worship the one true God that's high and lifted up. I love those verses about my God who's high and lifted up. Mm-hmm. What's, the last, what's the last thing people saw of Jesus? Ascending into heaven. Lifted yeah. up, baby. Riding the clouds. That's yeah, from the psalm. we should look at that and say, oh my gosh, we can't wait to get there. But we are, the church, we are just obsessed with this world. Let's change this world. Let's do this in this world. Let's get into, forget about this world. What's the scripture say? Paul said, I'm crucified to the world and it's crucified to me. I'm, I understand the position here. So here's what happens. The devil says, I'll give you all your people back and all this kingdom I'll save you the crucifixion. I'll save you having to die. I'll save you all that. But here's the trade-off. I want your position. I will no longer worship you. You must worship me. The devil already rejected worshiping Jesus, obviously. But he he wants to go a step farther and say, now I want you to bow down and worship me. Imagine that bowing down. Somebody has the audacity. Somebody could, Dylan, could someone have the audacity to tell Jesus to bow down to them? You wouldn't think, but... You wouldn't think, but every time I hear one of these people say, I, I demand you in the name of Jesus Christ to do this, and I, in the name of Jesus, I demand this go out of there, that's exactly what you're doing. You're asking Jesus to bow to you. Jesus doesn't have to bow to me in any way, shape, or form, does he? No. He might do something gracious and merciful to me, but I have zero right to tell him what to do, no matter how much authority I think I have or how much authority I think I've been given and we should learn a valuable lesson here about authority and how Jesus handled that he acknowledged that Satan owned everything mm-hmm. he didn't put him in a headlock and start screaming prayers and in my name do this what'd he do well he really did get the hint Satan for it's written thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him alone shalt thou serve my Lord Jesus had his marching orders it is written. What does that mean? You're asking me. Uh, I mean, I I know the answer, but I'm go ahead, me. answer it. Well, when every I mean, if you go back in this passage, Satan tries to test him three times, yep. and every time he says, "It is written this, it is written that, it is written that," and that's basically he's saying at this point in time, Jesus doesn't have what we call the New Testament, but he has what we call the Old Testament, and he's just quoting it to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he believes that those are God's words. And He's he just, quoting Bible verses, thinking because he quotes them that he has some authority over them. Good way to put that? Satan thinks because he's quoting these Bible yeah, verses yeah, that yeah. he thinks because he's quoting this Bible verse, which is true, mm. by him quoting it, he has some authority over it. Sound familiar? Be careful, Reagan. Don't do that. Don't think because you can quote a verse out of Matthew or Revelation that you have some personal authority over that verse mm-hmm. to put some. No. Listen, the power's in the truth. We stand on the truth. That's all Jesus said. I'll tell you something. It's written. It's written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. And that's important. The Lord thy God. The Master thy God. The Most High. 
that's who you worship. That's who you bow down to. That's who you should. That's that's who you bow down and lick their hand. The word worship in the New Testament, you'll you'll find in the Old Covenant, this idea of being depressed. In the New Testament, I love it. Generally, it's the word they would use for a dog licking his master's hand. You know, dogs are loyal. There's a reason for that, because we're loyal to the Lord. We bow down. We just we love being around. We that's a dog licking his master's hand. It's a talk about humility. That's a little humility. It's, it's humbling, isn't it? Mm-hmm. We should all try those pants on seriously. Everybody in the church should slip those babies on before we even walk in a sanctuary. Are you saying we should all get a dog? Yes, that's <laughs> exactly what I'm saying. Schnauzers, Shih Tzus, whoops. Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Very important point of truth. Jesus had his walking orders. He was told, Son, go down there, give your life, redeem a few of them, get our 10%. It's going to cost you dearly, and do not deviate from that plan. True or false? Do we have our walking orders? Mm Mm-hmm. Go down there, Jim Sears, and tell them those people are dead in their sins and tell them that they need to repent and tell them that my son Jesus will redeem them if they will worship him alone and serve him alone. And that's your walking orders. Do not deviate from that. Do Please do not just go create some new theology or some new doctrine or some new church or have some new vision or some new connection or some new... Please don't do that. I didn't tell you to do that. Here's your walking orders. Keep it straight. I mean, could you imagine us being in the military and saying, Rebecca, our job is to go take that hill. Well, you know what? I think we go make a little town over there first and make some chocolate candy bars with Mr. Hershey over there. will be a lot more. I mean, that's how humans are, right? Mm-hmm. Let's go do this. and do No. Let's go straight ahead. And you know what? You're going to suffer some casualties, Dylan. As a matter of fact, you might call it this. You might suffer the loss of all things to gain heaven. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're more consumed with trying to gain things of this world than to lose things in this world. We're supposed to be setting a precedent, Dylan, that, no, take it all. Hurt, take it all. I'm, I'm, I'm storing up my treasures in heaven. Let's not be so flippant. So, Satan is the supreme ruler of this present world. Shocking that that's true? Think that'll surprise a few people? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people already acted like he, he, he was, even without that knowledge, but I think it will shock some people. Yeah, it would definitely. If they're listening to, not trying to make it like a caricature of uh, pastors nowadays, but I mean preachers, whatever you want to call them. Um, if they're listening to what's being preached from most pulpits, they would ha- they would have to be shocked by this. They would just yeah, have to. Be. Yeah. I would think most people believe that God is the supreme ruler of this present world. Most people do. Yeah. Yeah, but all uh, and. Honestly, all you have to do is look at the present world, and you can clearly see that that's not the case. <laughs> There's no fingerprints of my father on this no. whatsoever. You, you can see little little bits and pieces of his, you know, his mercy and and you know his, us being made in his image and things like that. But that when you look around and see the carnage of this world, it is. You you if you look hard enough and you you'll see it, you will see fragments and remnants and scraps. Of God's image in this world, yeah. When somebody does a selfless act, mm-hmm. and somebody does something very humble, when somebody does something that's completely out of human character that nobody would ever do, like mm-hmm. your wife did in that situation, which I won't share, but with this mm-hmm. wanting to forgive somebody that is certainly not deserving of any forgiveness in the world, mm-hmm. says, "Why would you do that?" 
Johnny Hayden, a lawnmower. Why would you? Why would you let that guy get over on you like that? Uh, I'm not worried about this world. I got to cut. Yeah. A, I got to cut, cut grass for another ten years or so. But I'm not cutting any grass in heaven. I'm not doing yeah. any of that. So I'm not worried about it. So mm-hmm. it's a matter of getting our mind off of things of this world and onto things of the next world. Mm-hmm. Who do you think is more likely to want to encourage us to put our mind on things of this world? My Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, or my adversary? Lucifer, the god of the flesh. Really, god of the flesh. I'm pretty sure the god Lucifer, of the flesh. Of course. Yeah, he doesn't mind at all us telling people. Listen, Satan. I'm sure. Well, I would. I would be sarcastic. He's doing a little jigging and dancing. I hear these preachers talk about things you deserve in the world and name and claim and stuff like that. He's not doing anything. He's over there working on people like us that were trying to tell the truth because he's got them covered. Yeah. He's got them right where he wants them. He's got them. He's. That the world is Satan's biggest tool to deceive people by far. Yeah, the church should not be involved in it. We I should mean, not be carrying Black Lives Matter signs down the road. We should not be voting for. We should not be in talking about Donald Trump. We should not be doing any of that because it's an offense to my God. You're nuking right both now. sides, huh? You're nuking I'll both get them sides all. of the. I, I, it's not me. I'm, I'm a listen. <laughs> people ask me every election, Jim. Who would Jesus vote for? Let's go on record, Dylan. He'd oppose both sides. He'd stand vehemently against both sides because they're both unrighteous. We stand for righteousness by faith. Mm-hmm. There's only one man that was packing that gear, and his name was Jesus. Mm-hmm. So we stand aside. I'm sorry. I can't vote for you, and I can't vote for you. I might mm-hmm. vote for you because you're going to say some babies, but I'm not on either side of this. We stand for righteousness. Not to the point where we're willing to, to preach it from our pulpits. As you mentioned, mm-hmm. like, yeah, they may save some babies, so we'll vote for a specific one, but... When we get to a point where we're willing to speak it from the pulpit, mm-hmm. that's when you're making a mockery of, you're, of our God. You're offending everything mm-hmm. that an almighty God stands for. Let me tell you something. God's got plenty of power to take care of all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's got a darn good reason why he doesn't. And he doesn't need me or you or anybody else helping him out with it. Mm-hmm. He needs us telling people that we should, hey, listen, we should legislate against all forms of evil, shouldn't we? Of course we should. We should tell people, if you hurt somebody, we're going to have to do something. We're going to legislate against evil. We also have to tell people on a bigger scale, out of a bigger bullhorn, that Jesus Christ can deliver you from that and redeem you from that and take you to heaven. Mm-hmm. There's something far above everything we see, and that's the small potatoes aspect of that. We get all caught up in, oh, my gosh, the election, this and that. No. If we can redeem a few souls out of that, I don't give a hoot who the president is, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. If, if we're getting souls redeemed under Barack Obama or Donald Trump or Billy, it doesn't make any difference to me. Let's have some souls redeemed. Mm-hmm. The more controversy, the better for me, honestly. More shakeup, obviously. All right, so we're going to move on to our third question. Okay, so we're going to move on. Um, this will definitely be turned into some sort of a, a multiple podcast situation, by the way, just because there's a lot of, a lot of ground to cover, and it's pretty interesting, and we're going to try to bring some more people in. Uh, to get some insight. So um, the name of this podcast uh, is The Devil Made Me Do It. So a lot of things to consider about the devil making us do things. I know there's a camp of people out there that believe that when they sin or when they do something wrong, that the devil personally made them do it, that they, he was the main influence in that. Uh, we're going to call that a myth because we're going to debunk it uh, down the road here, probably in the next podcast. But for now, I want to really challenge you on something. If the devil's making people do all this stuff, we got a serious problem. Because we've already determined, correct me if I'm wrong, that the devil is an angel. He's a created being. 
And angels are not omniscient, which means they don't know everything. They're not omnipotent. They're not all-powerful. And they're not what? Omnipresent. Thanks. They're not omnipresent. Satan can only be one place at one time. My divine God, my divine creator, my father can be all places all the time. Jesus Christ can be all places all the time. The Holy Spirit can be all places all the time. Satan cannot. The devil cannot. He well, can Jim, be, what about all of his demons? What about them? They can be one place at one time. The thing we want to look the thing we want to look at is this idea there is a personal being, Satan the devil, but he's extremely limited in power compared to God, compared to our God. And again, as we said before, God's in charge, not necessarily always in control in that sense, but he's in charge. We're going to see as we progress through this that Satan is really only permitted to do what God allows him to do. And it's going to become very clear in Scripture that Satan, God only allows Satan to tempt people in areas they already want to be tempted in. He doesn't allow Satan just to go around and put naked pictures of girls in a girl in a person's locker if they have no temptation for that at all. He doesn't do it, he does, he's, and God does not permit him. In James, we're going to see that when a man is drawn away by his own lusts. That's when Satan goes wild. But back to the omnipresent thing, the true or false question is, true or false, Satan is omnipresent. It's false. He's not everywhere all the time, and neither all the demons. Now, this, now to Dylan's question, which is legitimate about the demons and what we call minions and things like that, what you're seeing is the influence of Satan. Right now, today, there, there are still people you'll meet that are strongly influenced by a fellow named John Calvin. He'd been dead for years, was one man, could be one place at one time, wrote a few books, yeah, and you know, plant a few seeds, and we still see it today, don't we? Mm-hmm. His influence stretches very far. So the influence can certainly stretch far. But what's making people do that and, 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 and do these acts and then justify these acts is not the devil himself. It's his influence of what he's deceived them into believing, right? And the Bible is chock full of the defense for that. Just a few simple ones. I mean, we take the armor of God, right? You're not supposed to disbelieve everything you hear, Rebecca. You're not. Put on the helmet of salvation. You're not supposed to. You're supposed to test the spirits, right? We're not supposed to accept anything at face value. So the 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 Satan of the influence of Satan runs amok and runs abroad. But as far as Satan being there, for example, I hear these people every day saying, "Oh, you know, the devil's really on me today." Well, I'm like tongue in cheek saying, I'm glad he's on you. That means he's not on me. I'm I'm free for the day. He's over there on your, you know. Mm-hmm. But he's not. It's the influence. And as ministers of the gospel, of ministers of the truth, of ministers of deliverance, of ministers of righteousness, we tell Dylan and Rebecca and Jason, whoever else comes down, how we how we can overcome that. I don't want to mm-hmm. say defeat or claim authority over it, because the Bible doesn't teach that. Mm-hmm. It's we overcome that by the word of our testimony. By the Spirit, we overcome that. So I don't want to get too deep into that because when we kick off, when we pick up next podcast, and I can say next week whenever we do, it doesn't matter to you guys on there because you can click the next one right now, I guess. But um, we're going to talk about the relationship between Satan and lies. 
because that's where this that's where the truth of this really is. That's where you really start getting an understanding of what we're up against, of what we need to be aware of to do. So our group here, are we okay with saying we all understand that Satan is not a divine being and he is not omnipresent and he's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. One of our questions is going to be, can Satan read your mind? It's going to be a good one for us. Right? But are these good questions yeah. Yeah, yeah. to try to wrestle heard with? The other day Definitely. I heard someone say they, they don't pray out loud because the devil can can hear, but he can't read your mind, so they pray in their head. That's what I heard the other day. Okay, so that, that person's hearing that from somebody. Oh, Somebody's yeah. told him that. Oh, yeah. Bible's, it's clear when you find it of what's really going on there. Like, I'm looking at Dylan right now, and i got a pretty good idea what he's thinking. I can't read his mind, but i got a pretty good idea what he's thinking over there, right? Well, let me tell you something. Satan, the god of the flesh, he knows our fleshly desires really well. He knows what I'm thinking most of the time. He's not reading my mind, but he knows exactly what a human being. i got a pretty good idea what the 16-year-old boy over there looking at Laney's thinking. Don't I? I can't read his mind, but i got a pretty good idea. He's getting ready to be punched. Yeah, i got a pretty <laughs> idea what's going through his mind, right? You know why? Because if I was 16 years old, I'd be putting those thoughts in his head right with him. I know about that, and so does yeah. Satan. So that's what we got to be aware of. But what we don't want to get into, we're not going to let people fall into the trap of Satan. The devil made me do this, and if it wasn't for the devil, you're responsible for your own actions. Whether he makes you do it or not, you're responsible for him. Absolutely. And if we teach children or whatever that you're not responsible for whatever reason, eh, well, we're in a we're an apostasy. We're apostates. It's hard. To, it's hard to repent for something that you're not willing to take responsibility for. Why? Well, hey, Dylan, if I could blame everything on the devil, why would I repent at all? Right. You wouldn't. Of course you wouldn't. Or you know, again, if I'm one of these people that say, "Well, God is in charge of everything," if I'm one of these people that say. Well, you know, and I, I have people that are close to me that all say, man, I really feel bad I couldn't get over here to help so-and-so. Well, you know, Jim, if God really wants him to be helped, he'll send somebody. And I'm like, he's sending me. Right. I, I'm, I'm, I'm reading the Bible. I'm supposed to go serve my God. But if you can give yourself that free pass, you can give yourself a free pass, and then you can start looking for all the stuff you want for yourself. Well, the, the issue that you run into, honestly, is when you're blaming all of your sin and all of your disobedience on Satan, you're like a hop, skip, and a jump from blaming everything on God. Amen. It take it literally takes like a, just a second to say, well, if it's Satan's fault, then it, then God, it's God's fault. Yeah, and then, God made Satan. Right. So like, mm-hmm. and he made me. And no, no, nobody would actually say that, but like, you're not far from it. But that's what that's what's happening. I might not say it, but that's the whole idea of right, deception. Exactly. They don't realize what they're saying. Right. Yeah. They they a lot of people don't realize, and we're going to do that because, frankly, you can't really. It should not be divinely permitted to have a conversation about the devil, without addressing the unrighteousness and wickedness of man. Right. Because that's what he's preying on, Rebecca. That's that's the that, again. Satan's not our enemy. This flesh is our enemy. Make no right. mistake about that. That's what's against us every day. That's what, what you know, our flesh wars with our spirit. Never says Satan's warring with our spirit. It's our flesh and our desires and the things that we're trying to debunk. And it's, I think some sound doctrine will help us. So um, as we close here, I'm going to review again. If you have any comments or questions or just want to bring up some subjects, that would be the easiest thing for us to do, frankly, is for people to bring up some subjects and then we could study through them a little bit. And, you know, so I've been doing this for a long time. I'm... 
quite a few years. And you can catch us at Fight the Good Fight 10 at Yahoo, correct? Yep. And then Fight the Good Fight Bible Podcast. On Facebook. On Facebook. Um, and a little homework if you want to. Um, take a little time. and You can use your Google machines if you want to, your phones or Google machines. I call it Google machines because it's my. I'm sarcastic about that stuff. Don't care for it really, but I use it all the time. Um, I do. I hate it, but I use it all the time. But the devil makes me. <laughs> he made. It's the only thing he gave me was an iPhone. He won't give me any more books. Just joking. You can edit that out if you want. Um, you should take some time on here and go through and find out all the different um, names and references and allusions to the devil or to Satan and all the things that he's called. And I'll close with this verse along those lines. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, four names right there, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up, set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. So right there, we have a reference to the dragon the old serpent from the garden, which is the devil. The devil, capital D, and the old serpent are identified as the same. And then Satan. Satan. And there's some there's some differences in those, in those references. So when you go through and you read the Bible and you see the devil, you see Satan, or you see the serpent, there's a little different, there's different nuances in what's being referred to there. Not not who, but what's being referred to. This idea of a deceiver, an adversary. It's almost like I heard someone say this is like an it's the anti-trinity, which I don't actually believe, but it is close. There's just it's four different things, but yeah, like, probably the antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet would be the false. Yeah, trinity. that that would be the yeah that would be the false trinity yeah. as we see that. But and that ties into this, you know, you've got you've got Satan, the god of the flesh, then you've got the antichrist, the incarnate, and then you've got the organization of antichrist, which you see in the world. This entire world is the organization of antichrist. That, and sadly enough, most of the church is part of the organization of Antichrist. And if you deny your, if you deny your need for Jesus Christ alone to redeem you and add anything to or take anything away, you're part of the organization of Antichrist. If you're part of any moral organization, including the Jewish religion, you're a part of the organization of Antichrist. The organization of Jesus Christ stands for grace, redemption by blood, by faith alone. That's where we stand, Dylan. It's the line we draw on the sand. That's the line we stand behind. It's faith alone, nothing else. It doesn't mean we go around and do bad and do wrong. It means we know our salvation is by, is our righteousness was imputed by faith, not by works. And Paul would confirm that in the book of Galatians in three chapters of it. Yeah. So, all right, again, fight the good fight at yahoo.com. Uh, fight the good fight 10 at yahoo.com and fight the good fight Bible podcast. Bible podcast on Facebook. On Facebook. And uh, thanks for joining us tonight. Hope you enjoyed that. God bless and good night.